Well, welcome back to the Wednesday Bible Study. Uh, we're here from the Rick and Bubba Broadcast Plaza and Teleport, and it, it feels so good uh, today to have some of the men uh, that have been in here for many years finding their way back to the studio. We, we now are open for, uh, you know, for you. If you are part of that, uh, you be, you're hearing these archives. You've been listening to these for over a year now. And you're like, man, I remember when I used to be there in the room. And those of you that normally came to see us, uh, you're welcome to come back. Uh, we do it uh, at the same time we always have uh, on Wednesdays at noon, Central Time, 1 o'clock Eastern. That's also those of you that are watching live on YouTube. You know that's our live presentation of the Bible study. We archive it soon after. And Adler does a great job of getting that out on our YouTube channel, uh, our podcast channel, and then we send links out on all of our social media platforms. So uh, one thing I do want to address uh, right out of the gate for those of you that watch the show on an archive. Uh, we do understand this is all, this is, this is part of, you know, trying to be as impactful with this Bible study as we can. We've seen too many testimonies to change it. Uh, but when the archive is on the Rick and Bubba YouTube channel, that means that, you know, advertisements and commercials will drop in. Uh, when you're watching the archive, uh, Adler's done a good job of working on that as best we can, but it, it, it looks like it's insurmountable, meaning if we're going to be on all the content on the Rick and Bubba YouTube channel, then there's going to be uh, advertisements that run on the archive. Now, if that bothers you and you just can't get past that and it's too big a hassle and it's ruining your experience, there is an audio option that doesn't have any breaks in it at all. Uh, it's audio only, and trust me, I don't know what you would miss. Uh, you know, seeing me is, I don't think, uh, some better experience. So if you're just wanting to get the content, you want to hear the Bible study, you don't want to deal with uh, advertisements on the video archive, just go to the audio archive. Uh, the audio archive does not have commercials in it, and uh, you can get that uh, on the uh, Rick and Bubba podcast channel. Uh, we put it out there. Uh, when we archive it to the YouTube channel, it goes to the podcast channel as well. Uh, or you can just wait for it to get to the lineup at BurgessMinistries.com by clicking on listen. So if the if the YouTube archive and the advertisements are bothering you to the point that you can't work through it and it's taking away your experience, then there is an audio archive every Wednesday as well that you're more than welcome to use and it has no commercials in it. Okay, so I want to pass that along. Let me hit you with a couple things. Uh, we had today uh, part of the ManChurch.com. Uh, we're excited anytime there's something new happening involving men's ministry and, and opportunities for Bible studies. Uh, our friend Lance Ingram, who wrote Warrior, uh, it's one of our uh, resources available at themanchurch.com. Another one uh, is is going to be released. It'll be coming out uh, in late July, early August, August, but you can get a pre-order for it right now. It's called United for Victory. This is really cool. 42 different men, 42 different days, 42 different topics, 42 different devotionals. And uh, Tua Tungvaloa is in here. Dave Ramsey is in here. Uh, we have uh, James Spann is in here. Uh, Bubba, uh, Bill Bubba Bussy, he's done one. I did one in here. Rich Wingo is in there. Mac Powell, Gene Chizik. Uh, uh, the, the, the list, Jane, I told you James Spann, the list goes on and on and on. Even uh, Tua Tungvaloa's daddy. I don't know how to say his name, but he's in here. Uh, Kirk Cousins did one. Uh, Gus Malzahn did one. Uh, C.J. Blunt. Uh, I mean, I'm looking at the list, and it just goes on and on and on. Uh, Timothy Alexander. And there's some big uh, influencers. Uh, and Lance Ingram, he worked tirelessly for three years to put this together. Can you imagine dealing with 42 different men trying to get them to turn their devotional in? Uh, so it took three years to get it done, to get all the paperwork done, and everybody to be okay with it, and it, it's available now. If you want it on a pre-order, why would I want it on a pre-order? 
Well, I'll tell you why. If you do the pre-order, uh, Bubba, Lance Ingram, and I will autograph this for you. Uh, it'll come to you. It'll be a great Father's Day gift. Uh, you'll get something you can print out to give to the dads on your Father's Day list that this is coming to them. So that pre-order, you can go to rickandbubba.com today and look at show notes, or you can go to this URL. Uh, it is uh, warriorunited.com slash Bubba. Warriorunited.com slash Bubba. That's the link to get a pre-order, and it'll come to you autographed. This is a this is great to add to your arsenal. You'll love that. Uh, we're going to try to finish today uh, knowing God. We may not. It's, it, this last chapter is a little lengthy. If we get it finished, then next week uh, we'll be jumping into our, our next Bible study because this will be uh, we're either going to be doing uh, discovering what it means to be a disciple uh, from the How to Be a Man series. This is the final one from the Manchurch.com. Uh, eight different authors in that, eight, di- eight different things you look for uh, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus. Or we're going to jump into uh, another expository uh, lesson on 1 Corinthians. Uh, we're going to do both of those. I'm just trying to decide what order I'm going to do that. Guys in the room, any feedback from you or any feedback out there would be helpful, which one y'all would prefer to do next. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm leaning uh, one way, but I'd love to hear what you guys have to say. Uh, another date to write down, August 14th. Uh, Sherry and I, my wife, we're doing a marriage conference at Olive Baptist Church in Pensacola, Florida. Uh, Sherry and I will be there. Shane and Shane will be in concert after we are done. You can grab your spouse, come spend a weekend in beautiful Pensacola, Florida with us. So get that uh, on your list. Uh, tickets to that are moving briskly. Uh, you can get those uh, by going to rickandbubba.com, looking under events for August 14th. Uh, man churches are going on all over the country. Uh, you can find those out this week. I'll be doing one uh, Thursday uh, the, June the 3rd at uh, Winfield uh, Baptist Church in Winfield, Alabama. They'll start the curriculum. Mark Garnett, another one of our teachers, will be going out Friday night for a second man church as they're 10 weeks into the curriculum at Westview Baptist Church in Op, Alabama. Would you like to know where any of the man church speakers are going to a man church? Go to themanchurch.com and look under events. It's all there. So let's open up in a word of prayer and let's jump in and see if we can finish this up. If not, we'll do it this week and next week. All right. Lord Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for an opportunity to dive into your word in this powerful book of Romans and finish out uh, what an incredible work that you've done through J.I. Packer. Uh, this book, Knowing God, has impacted me in so many ways, as I know it has so many in the feedback that I receive every week from this Bible study. Help us to finish it today or next week strongly. Help us to know uh, what we're to glean from it today through the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, so let, let's jump in. This is the final chapter, uh, chapter 22. It's actually session 23 uh, because uh, one of the other chapters, it took two sessions to get it done. And this may take two sessions. Now, we'll say this. If you are a man in this room or you're a, a man or woman that's watching this Bible study and you've been around this Bible study for years, you know that we did a word-for-word expository trip through the book of Romans, one of the most powerful books in the Bible. Some people say the most powerful. I'd be real careful with that because it's all God-inspired, but it is powerful. So we have been through some of the stuff we're going to talk about today. If you remember that Bible study, if you're like me, you probably don't remember every bit of it. But but so this will be a great review for us. I don't know about y'all, I, same things in the book of the Bible. Uh, since it's inspired by God and the power of the Holy Spirit, I get something different out of some things that I've studied over and over for years. So we're going to spend a lot of time in Romans today. This entire chapter is about the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8 will be prominent. So some of this we've talked about, but you need to hear what J.I. Packer 
wants us to take away from it uh, on the concept of knowing God. Remember, the whole thing about this book was the running theme of what? You can know a lot of things about God and still not know God. And, and so what, what J.I. Packer says, if you want to truly have the, the life-changing experience, we must understand God. We must know God. And he has not hid himself from us. And that's been our theme that we've rolled out now for 23 weeks. So, um, so today we will, we will look at this, this mighty book of Romans. I'm not going to give you all the accolades about the book of Romans, which is in this chapter, because we've already talked about that. Uh, we've talked about what Luther had to say about and all the different people. So we're not even going to talk about that because if you want to go back and get all that, you just simply go to our study on the book of Romans and we've covered all that. What we're going to talk about today is the adequacy of God. What, what Paul is saying, he is completely and fully adequate. There's nothing that we lack if we truly know God. We are lacking nothing. And so, uh, Paul talks about this in great length in the book of Romans. I love this when J.I. Packer says, you need to read the Bible and read the book of Romans as, as picture this. Just take Paul out of it. Take whoever the writers are out of it and read the Bible. And if you, if you haven't done this, start doing this. Read the Bible as a personal letter from God to his spiritual children. And, and th- this is how we should read the book of Romans to get the full power of this. Paul didn't write this to us. God wrote it to us. And he used Paul to get it to us. But what we're hearing is what God has to say about himself that he told Paul. That's important. So what are some of the things that you're going to get? I'll tell you what you're going to get. You're going to get doctrine. You you go through the book of Romans and you're going to get doctrine. Here's some of the things that J.I. Packer said for us to look at in the book of Romans. And you can write these down uh, and it would be helpful. Uh, doctrine. Number one, we're going to find out about our sinful habits and our attitudes. Number two, we're going to be challenged about the hypocrisy in our life, about grace abuse. Um, also, something that I, I struggled and struggled and struggled with, and may I never struggle with it again after what God has done in his love for me to break me of this, and that's my natural self-righteousness and my self-reliance. You know, sometimes we find ourselves, uh, you know, think, becoming a little full of ourselves when we realize that at the foot of the cross, all of us are in equal need of redemption. Um, you know, we're no better than the worst people we know in the eyes of God. And the other thing that I really struggled with even more than that was self-reliance. I mean, there's nothing wrong with you being a hard worker, nothing wrong with you being responsible, but be real careful if you say to God, I got this. I really don't need you. I got you. I got it. So uh, that that's in the, the book of Romans. Constant unbelief. Paul, Paul struggles, uh, especially in, in Romans chapter 7, about uh, about what creeps into our life. How about this? Being frivolous about sin, not taking sin serious. That's in the book of Romans. Um, a shallowness when it comes to repentance, not understanding what repentance really means. Remember in our Bible studies, and I don't even remember who to credit this with, that true repentance is the vomiting of the soul. I mean, just being disgusted with sin like God is and vomiting out the sin and true repentance. Uh, this uh, Romans reminds us not to be shallow about this. Uh, being half-hearted, meaning, you know what, I, 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 certainly God's a part of my life, but, but he doesn't have all of me. And I, uh, worldliness is in the book of Romans. Fearfulness is in the book of Romans. Uh, just being despondent, just kind of being apathetic. Uh, it's talked about in the book of Romans. Uh, and also spiritual conceit and, uh, and also in, insensitivity. But here's the thing that's cool. All these things challenge us in the book of Romans, but you know what else is in the book of Romans, which is so cool? It's in there as well. It's unique power 
in our redemption to evoke joy, assurance, liberty, vigor, uh, of which the Spirit of God both requires of and gives to those who love him. That's the beautiful thing about God. The very things that he requires, he gives. I want you to let that sit a minute, because that's where those of us that are self-reliant have a problem. You look at what God requires, but you must understand then he gives what he requires to to us if we're willing. He accomplishes in us what he requires, because we really can't do it. So what's the next thing that we want to take away from the book of Romans? So we take doctrine away, but also comfort. Uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's the type of comfort that I want uh, that I want to be real clear about. Because some people, when they hear the word comf- comfort, they think of comfortable. They think of indulgence. And that's not what the book of Romans is talking about. The book of Romans is talking about a comfort, um, meaning meaning that, uh, that, that the, the comfort that the Scripture speaks of is an assurance, which is much different than comfortable. I'm, 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 the comfort I get is knowing that God was willing to redeem me. The comfort I get is he, he has offered me redemption. The comfort I get is I have been redeemed. The comfort I get is my sin will not be held against me. Not, oh, uh, I'm looking in here for me to kick back, put my feet up, and, and leave the leisurely li- live this leisurely life and try to create heaven here on earth. We've talked about that over and over again. That's the reason why, you know, can I tell you one thing? That, that we want to want to remove from our vocabulary, and J.I. Pecker talks about this. You ever hear people say this, I go to church for comfort? Well, well that really shouldn't be why we go to church. Because what a lot of people say is, I go to church to be made comfortable. I want the church to kind of cater things to me. I go there for comfort. No, what we need to go there for what? We, we need to go there to also be confronted, to be challenged, to be refined, uh, to, 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 be, to be under conviction, you don't just go there for comfort. Uh, you, you go there to grow spiritually. And I, I love the line that uh, Ed Litton said one time, who's one of my favorites, pastor out of Mobile, Alabama, and has been a, a great uh, a source to me and to Sherry, he and his wife both. And I remember he said this. He said, I had a guy, and he was preaching on the book of Romans. He said, and the guy was leaving church, and he looked at me, and he said, I really enjoyed the message today. And he said, well, then you must not have been listening. <laughs> If you if you enjoyed it, uh, because sometimes the message is not enjoyable; it's just beneficial. And um, so, why did? And then we get to J.I. Packer talks about you've got the Book of Romans and all the accolades that it gets, but then you what inside of Romans you get the the chapter eight. You know, everybody. I, I've, I've told you how much Romans chapter eight has meant uh, in my life and in my wife's life and our family's life, and I can still remember it being read in its entirety at uh, the graveside of our youngest son when God took him to himself. But but why did Paul write Romans chapter 8? And I love what Packer says. Because we needed it after chapter 7. Uh, I mean, we're needing 8 after 7 because 7 is a very difficult chapter about God, uh, Paul struggling with his sin, st- still struggling. You know, because st- we want to hear that the struggle is going to at some point end, right? I mean, it, it, it is going to end. Uh, so you can't really understand and write this down if you're, if you're writing in here today or you're writing wherever you're listening to this or watching. You, tr- you cannot truly understand Romans chapter 8 unless you read Romans 1 through 7. So don't ever just jump to 8 and not, 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 not have read 1 through 7. You know, remember, remember one of the things that I'm learning and that I hope you're learning because uh, I love this Wednesday Bible study for what it's done in my life. I'm thankful that it may have done something in your life. Uh, and again, that's God, not me. 
But I'm going to tell you, it, it has, it has, the growth it has, it has been used to produce in me and the benefits of, that I get. You know, I have time, people tell me all the time, you know, you can take a break on this Wednesday Bible study thing. And I said, well, no, I really can't because I need it. I got to have it. Now, whether y'all need it or not, I don't know, but I got to have it. Uh, because of what it, I'll, I would sit in here and do it by myself and just hope somebody was watching, uh, because I got to have it, uh, because it's helped me so much. But one thing I've learned about truly, there's nothing wrong with having a life verse. There's nothing wrong with pulling verses out. We certainly should memorize some certain verse. But I'm going to tell you, be real careful with this pulling and picking of verses. The Bible is to be studied in its entirety. Because it, it, if you don't have the reference of the whole Bible, you, you pull a verse out, sometimes you really don't know what it means. you you got to understand the Bible as a whole. And I know... Some of you are saying, well, that's just a lot to take in. That's okay. Well, then, you know, what do they say about an elephant? One bite at a time. You know, but, but you need to have, you don't need to, I got challenged on this, uh, uh, by, by, my pastor. Uh, he sat down with me. I had lunch with him and it was so just right in, right in my face, which I love those kind of men in my life. He said, well, I got to ask you a question about your Bible studies. I said, okay. He said, how come you don't ever do anything out of the Old Testament? And I said, what do you, what do you mean? I mean, we talk about it. He goes, no, I mean, like do a book of the Old Testament. And I hadn't even realized I hadn't done that. And now if you get the new curriculum that we've got from the manchurch.com, it's, it's a ton of Old Testament, our new curriculum. So I, so I am teaching the, the Old Testament there. But he said, I noticed your Wednesday Bible study, you've never done a book of the Old Testament. Is there a reason for that? And I was like, no, there really isn't, but you've ruined lunch. Uh, but I, uh, cause I, cause I had to start thinking, well, is, is that something I, that I don't even realize I'm avoiding? And then I had to sit down and you know what it was? I'm not confident with the Old Testament as much as I'm the New Testament. Uh, the Old Testament sometimes takes takes a lot more work, and uh, and and it, it takes a, a much a much deeper dive. And I realized that I probably uh, wasn't doing a, a book out of the Old Testament yet because I didn't feel confident enough to do it justice. Uh, so uh, so I went home and and prayed about that. So you could look for a book of the Old Testament to be coming uh, over our next year together. So, uh, if, and if these, if, if I can't get to it this year, we will definitely do it in 2022, uh, Lord willing. So, so anyway, so Jesus is the answer because when you think about what Paul says in Romans chapter 7 before 8, what is he saying? Who's going to deliver me from this? Is this struggle ever going to be over? Who will deliver me from what? This body of sin, who will deliver me from this horrible flesh? And what's the answer? Jesus. What what does Paul call our flesh? The body, the body of death. Who's going to free me from this body of death? And the answer is, of course, in Romans chapter 8, Jesus. And uh, and now remember this, J.I. Packer makes this point. Romans 8 does not get us out of 7. So be be, be clear on that. It's not over. Some people say, well, Romans chapter 8 says that chapter 7 is over. That's not what it says at all. It's the hope of what what is to come, the hope of what we have in Christ. So don't read 8 thinking that, well, I guess I'm not supposed to be struggling with sin. Now, we're not supposed to be in deliberate, perpetual, continual sin. That's not what, that, then that, that, of course, is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, meaning that Jesus has no power. We've talked about that agnosium in here. But the disciple of Jesus will still struggle with sin. So, so don't get disillusioned that Paul talked about his struggle with the flesh, and then in chapter 8 it ended. He's just saying this is why we're going to make it. This, this is who's going to deliver us from this. This isn't the way it's always going to be, and don't just give in to it because we have hope in Christ. 
We'll never, we'll never stop struggling with sin on this side of the, of the new heaven and the new earth, but we're to rejoice that Christ has overcome the death sentence of that flesh. That's what we're celebrating. Hey, you know what? If I'm redeemed by Jesus, the flesh is not going to win. The spirit's going to win. Uh, and, um, because if I look at the flesh and then I look at how I'm being measured by the law that Jesus fulfilled, you can kind of start getting down and say, well, there's, there's no, there's no, I'm not, I can't do this. But Jesus says, I know that's why I've done it. So in my redemption, I'm going to deliver you from this death sentence. And that is a lot to celebrate, uh, in, in, uh, in chapter eight. Uh, but but when you talk about the grace of God, Romans also wants us to know that the grace of God is what we needed. I mean, it is it is adequate. It will pay the price, uh, and and he talks about that if you read the first thirty verses of the of the book of Romans. So he says this. He says, "Here's some of the things that we can be guaranteed when we read the book of Romans. There's four gifts that are coming from God in His grace. Number one, righteousness. What does he say?" For those in Christ, what does he say? Condemnation? No. No condemnation for those who are in Christ. Somebody say amen to that. I mean, but that also means what we say, there is condemnation for those who aren't. So the, the, the one gift we get from God is righteousness. I, I once heard a person make a mistake. I know they were talking about sanctification. And I look, I've got up there and I've had a chance to speak before. And, you know, I remember one time, if you really want to laugh, I sat down and the you know, first person I look at, if my wife is where I'm teaching, I looked to her to see if I get a thumbs up or not, and I was clearly not getting a thumbs up. And I thought it went really well, and um, and I was delusional. And so um, we get in the car, and I said, so I, I can tell you don't think I did well. She goes, no, 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 it, it was a great message. She goes, now, was it a me- I, if, if I'm not mistaken, it was, a, was that supposed to be a message on Joshua? And I said, yeah. She goes, well, you called him Joseph the entire message. <laughs> So you, you, you said we were learning about Joseph while we learned about Joshua, and that's why you did not get the thumbs up. You said the wrong name the entire time. So I know what it's like to get up and, and think you said something right and not mean what you said, but, um, but uh, I actually heard one time a guy, unfortunately, say from the stage, it's not like uh, Jesus makes us fully righteous, to which I leaned over to somebody next to me. I said, uh, that's the gospel. Uh, he, he absolutely makes us fully righteous. And what he meant was were infants in the faith to begin with. He meant he was trying to talk about sanctification, and he just used the wrong, the, the wrong terminology. But no, we are made fully righteous by Jesus. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So one of the gifts of God that we get out of, of the wonderful book of Romans is righteousness. Thank you for that, Lord. This next gift we get, the Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus is getting excited about this before he ascends. He goes, I'm about to, I'm about to, I'm about to pour out of the Spirit of God on you, you're going to have a comforter. You're going to have a you're going to have a helper, and 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 you're you're going to be able to go to another level because right now, because of my 100 percent man and my 100 percent God that I've agreed to as the Son, I've limited myself. What I, when I ascend, I'm going back to glory, and the Holy Spirit will now come down upon you. And how many times in this Bible study have we talked about the Holy Spirit when they received it was a game changer, game changer. And what have we studied in this Bible study for years? And if you're new, you need to get it. We do not compare ourselves to the disciples who followed Jesus before they received the Holy Spirit, because that's not where we are now. We're in the church age. The church of the New Testament, the church of Acts, received the Holy Spirit, 
And suddenly what happens when they got that gift? John and Peter that were running away from persecution didn't want to be associated with Jesus if that meant trouble. If it meant it wasn't a military overthrow, they didn't want anything to do with it. These same men who ran, who were afraid of a little girl by the fire, are now standing before the Sanhedrin, standing before the Pharisees, standing before the Roman government saying, we will continue to talk about Jesus, so do to us what you have to. I'm paraphrasing, but that's the bottom line. Hey, remember when they, they said to, the, to the, the Sanhedrin, if you're wondering who healed this man, now before they would have been like, we don't know who did it. But once they got the, the, the Holy Spirit, they said, I'll tell you who did it. Jesus did it, and that's the name, and there's no other name on heaven or earth to which one can be redeemed. That's, I mean, they, they lost their minds when they said that. And, and they got beat and were told not to talk about Jesus, and they said, I got to tell you, we, have, we, we can't stop talking about Jesus. So what was the difference? Peter gets up at, at Pentecost, what, with the Holy Spirit, and he gets it right. So much so, the Holy Spirit pierced the hearts of 3,000 people, and 3,000 people repented of their sins. So that's where we are. And I think sometimes we like to pretend we don't have that standard because we want to lower it because it makes it easier. We don't question ourselves. We're like, well, I'm at least as good as the ones that made all these mistakes. But you start looking at, the, at these men and women in the New Testament, that's a different game. And so that's where we are. So gift number one is righteousness. Gift number two is the Holy Spirit. Gift number three, which is probably my biggest takeaway from the Knowing God Bible study, adoption. We're adopted into the family of God. We become children of God. We are co-heirs with Christ. We, 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 we have been given sonship or daughtership, if you're a woman watching this, we have been made God's children. That blew my mind when, when, uh, when J.I. Packer said, I want to spend a whole chapter on adoption because you got to get that. That's a biggie. You have been adopted into God's family. So that's a gift. So righteousness, the Holy Spirit, uh, adoption, and then the, the fourth gift, and that is security now and forever. What a great gift that is. I, I've been redeemed. I'm secure. What's going to happen to you when you die, Rick? I don't know what it'll be like as far as from the, the whole process. Uh, as I, I was laughing at, uh, along with Lee Moore uh, and Andrew Varvudis from themanchurch.com, we were flying in to do a man church. Oh, no, it was an event, that, that, but, but now they're doing the man church stuff in Cleveland, Tennessee, as First Baptist Cleveland. And we thought that we were going to get by the storms. We thought. Uh, we did not. Uh, and we ended up in a storm, and that little plane got to being thrown around. And, I mean, our heads are banging off the top of the ceiling with seatbelts on. And Lee Moore looks at me, and he said, you know, I'm not afraid to die, but I ain't crazy about the process. <laughs> and I said, no, I'm not either. And uh, so I don't, I don't know what the process is like, but let me tell you what I do know because of Jesus and because of the God that I serve. I'm going to be in his presence. Are you going to be in the presence of God, Rick? Yes, I am. You know that for a fact. I absolutely do. I do, not because of anything I was able to do, but because of what he did for me. And uh, so righteousness, no condemnation, Holy Spirit, adoption, and security now and forever. Anybody think those are four pretty good gifts? Those, those are some, hey, there ought to be a lot of hope in, in this room and a lot of hope out there right now. So, so anyway, so Paul says, I love this, what shall we say then? And I love this because I didn't know this. J.I. Packer said, if you take the English and you go to the Greek, and, and you just go word for word, correct English here would actually be, I know what I shall say, will you say it too? That's good. 
Because what Paul's saying is, all right, I've, I've cranked all this out for you. Are y'all in agreement with me? He, you know what he's saying is, do I get an amen on this? Do y'all, are you, I, I'm saying these things. Do you say them too? Paul is asking us to speak a yes, but he's also, I love this, he's asking us to think about it first. You ever do that? You ever answer, answer quick and you realize, I didn't really think about that. I, I know that's what I was supposed to say, but I didn't stop thinking about that. Do I really believe that? So let's do that right now. Let, let, let's take a minute and let's, let's, let's really ponder, let's really think, do we give an affirmative yes to Paul when he says we receive righteousness, we receive the Holy Spirit, we receive adoption, and we receive security now and forever in Christ and we look to the God we serve, and he says, I'm saying these things, do you say them too? Yes. And if not, then, then maybe today's the day that something needs to be done about that. He's asking us to think about it. He said, apply the facts that we know about God to ourselves. He says, Paul doesn't, you know, he, he's not asking us to, 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 to think about this, just him. He's he's saying that I, I look. I, I'm not just saying that that I know these things. I'm saying that we need to realize that this determines the state of every single Christian worldwide. He's speaking to the worldwide church. Is this what we all believe? Is everybody saying this with me? And you know what's the thing that we learned from Dallas Willard? In one of the Bible studies, I thought I was going to get fired as a teacher going through the spirit of the disciplines. I've never seen the, the I've never seen, and, and my buddy Rich Wingo taught it to his, his, his uh, small group at his, the church we attends, and he said, everybody told me that they were mad at me that this was such a hard Bible study. But remember what, what, what Dallas Willard said in the spirit of the disciplines. He said, in the New Testament church, and I've said this before, but it's going to be said again, the word Christian only appears three times. Uh, two times it's derogatory because this is a word that they use to make fun of the the little the little Christ. So they call trying to be Christ-like. They're little Christ, and then then Peter says in his letter in First Peter, he says, "Don't let this be something derogatory anymore. Let's embrace this. Let's embrace this derogatory statement about ourselves, and we will call ourselves Christians." But, and Dallas Willard makes this point, and this is why Paul is saying, "Is this what we all believe?" There was never a person in the New Testament church, not one that was called a Christian that wasn't already a disciple. And, and that's where the Western church has erred a little bit, in my opinion, and in the opinion of a lot of great writers, including Dallas Willard. We want to we call you a convert. If you're a convert, we'll call you a Christian. Did you convert? You're a Christian. The New Testament church didn't do that. You had to be a disciple and have some skin in the game and be a devout follower of Jesus, then you would be called a Christian. Because think about that. Jesus said, go make disciples. And everybody in the New Testament church was already a disciple of Jesus, and then they were called Christians. And what we'll do is call somebody a Christian that we really haven't seen any proof of their salvation at all or redemption. We just assume. And so what we've done, instead of making disciples, we've made converts. And that, that's the explanation of a lot of inch-deep, mile-wide stuff we see in the Western church. And a lot of people who are claimed to be Christians, but they have no idea how to take on the difficulty of the world because they don't know anything about the Bible. They don't know anything about the, the, the Savior they claim to, to now serve. And, and we, we're the, the Western church will take a baby and throw it out in the field, just walk off and leave you. 
And that's the reason why everything you see in here and the things you see, what we're doing with men's ministry through the manchurch.com, at, at the root of it all is discipleship, 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 discipleship. Because we got to leave spiritual infancy. Uh, and, and that's and because of what is a disciple of Christ? A disciple of Christ does what Jesus says to do and says what Jesus says to say. Can you do what Jesus says to do and say what he says to say if you don't know? That's impossible, right? So, so remember what he said in, in our study of John, John 15, if I abide in you, which means I act in accordance with you, I, 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 I remain in you, I'm in agreement with you, if I abide in you and you abide in me, if my word abides in you and uh, you abide in my word, this glorifies my Father, and then he produces much fruit in you who abide in me, proving to be my disciples. That's important. So what, what are some other things that we take away in the book of Romans? And we'll talk about it. A commitment to all-round righteousness. Romans 6. Let's, let's turn there now if you have your Bible. Romans 6, uh, verses 13 and 18. Romans chapter 6 is an important chapter because this is Paul taking on grace abuse. Yes, we have assurance. Yes, uh, we, 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 we love redemption. But then Paul says to us in verse 13, he, he asks a difficult question. He says, do you not... Do not present your members, talking about your body parts, to sin as instruments for, for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been bought, I mean been brought, you could say bought, from death to life. How many times have we got to say that? It's all right to say that I'm saved, but what you need, need to really realize, you've been saved from death. When you've been redeemed and I've been redeemed, we go from death to life. And Paul's reminding us of this. Why are you presenting your body into sin when you claim that you have been bought and brought? Uh, so, so it says, so you have been brought from death to life and your members, your body parts, your, your life to God as instruments for righteousness. Now look at verse 18. And this is, we've talked about this one a lot. Uh, let's, let's start at 17, then get at 18. But thanks be to God that you were once slaves, under uh, right out by the side, doulos. The Greek word there means that this is a bond servant. This is, this is a, a servant or slave that has no rights. This is not an um, you know, um, indentured slave that's getting paid or maybe being provided something. This is doulos. You, you were once doulos, slaves of sin. That's before we were redeemed. And, and have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. 18, and having been set free from sin, have become what now? Doulos, slaves of righteousness. So you once were slaves to sin, but now you're a slave to righteousness. And the other parts of 6, if you go back to the beginning, he's taking on, do you think that you have been given grace so you then can just sin to show how good grace is? He says, certainly not. not certainly not. You haven't been saved and redeemed to sin he said, you, you, you have been received from sin. You have been redeemed from sin. You have been redeemed to sin. Don't be a grace abuser. And how can you be if you're truly now a, a, a slave to righteousness and obedience? So remember that. We're, we're slaves to righteousness. What does that mean? We're seeking the will of God. That's what that means. So let me ask you a question as, as I ask myself this. Honestly. Do you live your life with the attitude of our Lord and Savior who kept saying over and over again, what do he keep saying? I came here to do the will of my Father. Even in his time of terrible duress in the garden, he says, 
Not my will be done, but your will be done. He says, this is how you pray. And what does he say we should pray? That not our will will be done, but that God's will be done. Your, hey, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. See, a lot of times we pray, thy kingdom come, I will be done. And that's not, it's thy will. It's, it's God's will. Do you really live that way? I mean, just be honest. Let's just, let's just cut all the garbage. Do you live your life wanting to be right in the center of God's will, or do you live your life thinking God will give you your will? Just be straight up. I don't know the answer to that. I know that I can answer times in my life that I can honestly look in the eye and say, I'm living for the will of God. But I have to also be honest that there's times in my life that I'm hoping God will give me my will. But if you're, if you're committed to all-round righteousness, if you're a slave to righteousness, what, what does a slave do? The will of himself or the will of their master? The will of the Father. That's who owns us now. We were bought. I mean, that's just the, I mean, I'm sorry if that makes you uncomfortable. That's just a fact. So what we're supposed to be now doing is living our life for his will. And this is what I love. There are no halfway measures. Rick Burgess, I'm, I'm sitting here before you right now. I'll tell you straight up. I have tried to have one foot in my will and one foot in his. That's, that's not what a disciple does. That's not what a, that's not a slave to righteousness. I mean, answer that. I mean, I want you to think about that. As horrifying as, as, as the, the wrong kind of slavery is, it's horrifying because you know what one of the facts is? And these were, this, was, this was when it was used for evil. To be under the authority of God is the, the place we want to be. We have a benevolent king. But do you think that anybody who ever lived under tyranny, and this is earthly kingdoms, earthly authority, could ever say to the king, I, I'm with you. Or not. I may or may not be with you. Did you ever walk up to a king and say that? The king says, here's what I want you to do. And you go, eh, maybe, maybe not. I mean, what would he say right then? Hey, carry this guy off and and cut his head off or throw him in the dungeon. Is he not loyal to me? Eh, maybe, maybe not. Can you imagine if if you're a slave and all of a sudden the master shows up and walks out there and says, I want these, this done, this done. You go, so does everybody understand that? Eh, I may do that, may not. As soon as you turn off, I may head out of here. Do you think you can just do that? Well, why do we think if we're if we're disciples of Jesus and we're doulos, bond servants to, to righteousness, where do we get off being so disrespectful to a benevolent king that died on a cross for the lost like you and me that came down and lowered himself and showed real leadership by saying, I am a king, and I'm the king of everything that has ever been, but I left my throne to lower myself to pay a price that you owed me, and I paid it for you. And then our response to that is, I don't know if I want to go with you or not. That's the kind of, guy, that's the kind of person I'd want to go with. But we say, I don't know. You may not have our best interest. Go back to the fall. What is the fall all about? God says, you have complete freedom. I provide for you everything that you need, everything you could ever want. Here's one thing I don't want you to do. I want you to trust me that I decide what's right and wrong. Trust my standard. And what did Satan convince the first two humans to do? He's trying to hold something from you. Don't you know, where is Adam stepping up saying, no, God's given us everything. We want for nothing. Yeah, but you know what? He didn't, he's not letting you in on what's wrong or right. You ought to be able to decide that for yourself. Where, where is he to decide what's wrong or right? He's trying to, he don't want you to know right and wrong. 
He's withholding that from you. See, but a benevolent king would withhold something that was going to kill us, wouldn't he? Don't you withhold things from your children that will kill them if you can? Yeah. So we don't want our children to find out that we were right by something bad happening to them, do we? I don't want that. I've always said this. Mark Garnett taught me this. Life is not a good teacher. Life's a terrible teacher. God's a good teacher. You ever hear people say that? Just, you gotta love them. just let them experience things. Life's a good teacher. It's really not. Life's a terrible teacher. I tell you what a good teacher is, is God. He's a perfect teacher. So the, our original sin is still in us. We want to tell God what we think is right and wrong, not what he says is right and wrong. But Romans chapter 6 says that is not the way to go. What else? Um, it talks about the pressures of life, all-round pressure, material hardship, human hostility. These things are common to the followers of Jesus. They're common to the followers of Jesus. And I know sometimes we don't like to hear that, but look what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 35. You ever have verses in the Bible, you just go, ah, I think I'll skip over that one. This is, this is one of those. Starts out good. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, our nakedness, our danger, our sword. As it is written, for your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Well, in order to know how wonderful God is and how much better it'll be with him, sometimes you have to look at what's going to happen to you because you're committed to him. I know how disappointing it can be sometimes when you realize you can't make heaven here on earth. But that's God preparing us for heaven. It's one of the things you think about. I mean, you, when you're sitting there, I'm watching my parents age right now, and I'm, I'm seeing some very hard things. But you know what I'm seeing? This is no life to cling to. You, you know, you start thinking, I mean, just like a friend of mine this week uh, that had uh, someone that, um, that God finally ultimately healed, and you saw really all the grace in that because life for that person was miserable. Now, it's not our call. We don't decide when it's over because until, until he ends the misery that we may find ourselves in, let's be sure that we're learning all he's teaching in that misery. He's preparing us for heaven. And so Romans does not hide from us that life as a follower of Jesus and as a son of God and a daughter of God can actually bring human hostility and even material and 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 when and, the, and including the material hardships is not just the loss of all things, but also the the sickness and, and and difficulty with our with our bodies. Paul is asking us to look in the mirror, and he, you know he's asking you to look in the mirror and say, "Has your faith cost you something?" It likely has. You may think of a moral lapse in your life. You may think about you know your your integrity has cost you a, a friend or a family member. I'm living that right now. The fact that I believe that the Bible is inerrant and I believe this is the Word of God and the Word of God says these are God's standards. There are relationships that I have lost. I pray they'll be uh, redeemed. I pray they'll be restored. But they're lost because of me not saying, like I've seen happen with so many people. And the only reason why I'm saying this is I just, I'm just so, uh, I was such a wretched sinner. I've been delivered from so much. I just, I just love Him. Um, and, and I love the people 
too much. If I compromise God for somebody I claim to love, all I've done is just, I really don't love them because I just wanted the moment to be better. But long-term, I've done tremendous damage. And, and when, when you think about that, and I've seen this happen, I've seen people because of family members or because of friends, they'll change God's standard for that child. They'll change God's standard for that person. But you don't love anybody when you do that. Then Now you're in the worst zone. You don't love God or them. And so he says, when you look in the mirror, you may think to yourself, I, I've lost some friends. I've lost family members. I, I've, I have children who are a disappointment, you may look and say, hey, my children have disappointed me. Maybe you look and say, I have disappointed my parents. You may have serious health or physical pain or limitations. You may be feeling like an outsider in your own home or at work or uh, something I'm going through. I just mentioned aging parents. I've been through this one, death of children. Just the toughness of this life and this fallen world and fallen people and, and our own fallen flesh Paul says over and over again, think, think, think. Think of these things. Because when you do, that's when you realize how wonderful God really is. Because what did Jesus say? I've overcome all this. What you're seeing is a result of a sinful, fallen world and a sinful, fallen body. But that's not how it's always going to be. I love when my wife says that. We'll sit there with tears running down the, the face of parents who are burying their children, and my wife is so great to look at them and say, this is not how it's always going to be. Just understand that. This is momentary. This is not how it's all, This is not how it ends. This is not how it's always going to be. And Paul says, think of that. Think, think, think. Not on the things that are difficult. This is good. But on the truth of the gospel. And what does the adversary want us to think about? Our pain. Our disappointments our difficulties, our hardships. And see what the adversary tries to say is, look what God's doing to you. Be careful, person of faith. Be careful. Go go back to the garden. You never see the adversary trying to question that God exists or trying to question what God said. What he wants you to think is God's unreasonable. Because if you believe that God is sovereign, and we do, If you believe that God is above all things, space and time, and we do, be careful. Be sure you, be sure that, that you, that you, you are there because guess what the adversary would do? Wow, things are going really bad. And you said God is sovereign. So look what he's doing to you. So you better be able to come back and say, but let me tell you what else he did for me. You better be able to say to the, to the adversary for him to pack his bags because I'm going to tell you about the gospel. I had a holy God come and redeem my unholy self. And if he never did another thing for me other than what he did on the cross and what he did in the tomb, then he has done more than enough because I deserve to go to hell. So sorry about that. Nice attempt to try to get me to turn on God like he's unreasonable. I tell you what blows my mind is not that all my sin has brought calamity on my life. What blows my mind is God's willing to forgive me. That's what blows my mind. And you tell the adversary that and tell him to pack his bags and go. And that's what Paul is saying. When these things come into your mind, cling to the truth of the gospel. Cling to the truth of the gospel. Think of what you know about God and how wonderful the gospel truly is. Don't 
harp on the bad stuff. Don't focus on the bad stuff. What do you focus on? Focus on God. Look at this line, J.I. Packer. What a good one. You like this one? Write this one down. Look up from your problems and look to God. Look up from your problems and look to God. The God of the gospel. I love this line. Let evangelical thinking replace emotional thinking. Somebody write that down. Let evangelical thinking replace emotional thinking. Enough with being ruled by your emotions. Enough with being petty about momentarily momentary difficulties or disappointments. He says, get in your mind evangelical thinking, not emotional thinking. What does that mean? I think about the gospel. I think about what God did. I think about the cross. I think about the resurrection. I think about my forgiveness. I think about me being allowed to repent. I think about all the stuff. And and I'm not going to let people bring up stuff that I did 30 years ago that has already been nailed to the cross and Jesus doesn't even see anymore. If he doesn't see anymore, why am I seeing it? Why am I keep harping on it? And I'm not going to allow anybody else to harp on it. I'm going to tell them who I am in Jesus. What the first the first curriculum we ever put out from the manchurch.com, the first five weeks that you could ever enter in in the discipleship plan that we put together, the first five weeks are on what? Identity. That's not just somebody. We didn't spin some wheel and say, well, it landed on identity. Let's start with that. That's not how we did it. Why? Because we better get our identity right. Your identity is in Christ if you've been redeemed. It's not in your work. It's not in your kids. It's not in your spouse. Those things can be wonderful. But if your identity is placed on things that could change, be careful. That'll lead to a disappointment. But when your identity is in Christ, it's unchanging. It's eternal. So also this one, which I really get frustrated with myself when I don't do this because it's there. J.I. Packer says, Paul's telling us the Holy Spirit will remind us. The Holy Spirit will remind us. Have you ever had the Holy Spirit tell you clearly about something you just didn't listen? Can you imagine what that's like for God? My goodness. I mean, I, I, I couldn't have done anything more clear in my word or by the prompting of the, You've asked me to guide you with the Holy Spirit. And what do I say? Convict me where I'm wrong and affirm me when I'm right. And you knew that you weren't comfortable in your spirit and you did this anyway. You, you still went along with that business deal or you still went along with that friendship. You still allowed that person into your life when I was telling you not to do it. But we learn, don't we? You know what we do? He, he, he forgives us and he redeems us and he gets us back up on our feet and he says, let's try this again. Praise God for that, right? So listen to what he says, uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 8 and, um, and, and 38 and 39. And we're not going to finish this. We will have to come back next week. But look at this right here. For I am sure. Underline that. For I am sure. Does he say, for I, I'm, I'm wondering, I'm guessing, I'm maybe. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm sure. I'm convinced. I'm not wavering on this. So remember back what he says about I say this, so do you say it too? 
So he says he's convinced, Paul. God told him to write down, I'm convinced, I'm sure, that nothing can separate me from the love of God. So here's the question. Do you agree with Paul? Do you say that too? I'm sure. I'm convinced. I don't waver. Well, if the answer is, hey, Paul, so am I, hallelujah. That's a hallelujah, isn't it? Hey, Paul, so am I. And that's what he's saying to the church. Y'all with me? Huh? It goes back to, um, uh, I, I have the opportunity to hear Matt Brunson preach now that Sherry and I have been called to a, a new church recently. Matt Brunson is there. He's the pastor. And so many times he'll say something like that. And if no one agrees, he'll just go, we all just sit there. Just sit there. My goodness, that, that did you just hear what the Bible just said? How can you just sit there? Now, he doesn't mean we got to run down the aisle and turn to flip. But he is saying, basically, do y'all agree with what you're hearing? Do y'all, do y'all, do y'all apply that? And, uh, and that's what Paul's doing. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which comes to us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And, and you know what? I think I'm going to stop right there. Because uh, we, we, we we're going to do another lesson next week. And I think if I start on this next, I'm not going to have as clean a stopping point as that. So I had a feeling this would be two lessons, so it will be. So, um, so we'll do that, and y'all give me your feedback on the order you want to, you know, and I'll ultimately make the decision inspired by the Holy Spirit. But um, if we want to jump into that, that last of the trilogy, uh, of the How to Be a Man trilogy, discovering what it means to be a disciple, that'll just be eight weeks. So it's not going to be a long one, uh, eight to ten weeks, somewhere in there, and then we'll go into 1 Corinthians. But if you'd rather just jump, because one thing I was thinking, if we've been in a book, would you rather go back to just expository, then back to another book? It all is going to have scripture in it. Just give me your feedback on that. Let me know. I'll hear from the guys before y'all leave, and then the rest of you can email me and let me know. So in closing, let's, let's, just, let's just do what Paul's asking us to do. Do you, do you agree with everything that you are hearing that our redemption is complete, that our redemption is adequate, and that anything in life that we are facing, that God really has overcome it? Do you believe that? Are you convinced that nothing can separate you from the love of God. If you're not convinced of that, this is Scripture, this is Holy Spirit, this is God talking. So if you're not convinced of those things, you should be. And if you're, if you're, and if you're looking into your life and you're like, I, just, I don't know if I feel that I'm as confident in my redemption as I should be, well, then Paul tells us to assess ourselves and see what may be wrong. Maybe it's time for you to completely submit to the authority of Christ. Maybe repentance for you is something that was half-hearted. Maybe you, like, like I was when I was confronted in my life of the cultural Christianity, one of the biggest problems in my life is I didn't take repentance seriously. I didn't take sin seriously. So something was wrong with my relationship with God. I was claiming a redemption that there was no evidence of. And if that is your case, then do something about it. And if you're asking what I did when I was confronted with that uh, in 1995, I'll tell you what I did. I got on my face before the Lord, and I repented. I said, I, uh, I submit to your authority. I didn't even know Romans 10, 9, and 10. I just, God took me to James chapter 4, and I saw submit yourself then to God, which means to come under his authority, and I realized I was under my own authority. Uh, it says, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. I knew that I was not resisting the devil. Matter of fact, the devil and I did a lot of things together. And the only reason why he was still having an impact in my life is because I was allowing it. Because 
the God that I serve is stronger than the forces of evil, and I was allowing them in my life. And the next thing that James says is come near to God, and he'll come near to you. And I want you to see this visual that really helped me with that. Our God is so gracious. If you picture a football field that's 100 yards long, God is just saying, just like the prodigal father, if I can just see you move to the 5 or 10-yard line, I'll come the 90. If I can just see you top that hill, I'll run the pasture to you. I just want to see the sincerity of you coming. And I realized that none of those things had ever really happened in my life. I was convinced to follow some sort of game plan that had been laid out in the churches that I'd been in. There was nothing wrong with how they laid it out. I, but I didn't understand the steps, what they really meant. I, under, I, I understood the steps. I just didn't know what they really meant. I didn't know that repentance was vomiting from the soul. I didn't know that that, that I should despise the sin in my life and, and with the sincerity in my heart cry out, to be forgiven and turn a 180 from sin and submit to the authority of the one and only living God. I didn't know that. So I got on my face and I did that. And I even admitted that I didn't fully understand everything. I knew that that, that, that God loved me because I, I could see the cross and I knew about the cross. But where the problem was, I knew I didn't love God. You know what I said? Not give me a list of things I need to do. You know what I said? Just teach me to love you. You can. I, I don't love you, so teach me to love you. I didn't know then because if I love him, then what happens? I start obeying him. Because a lack of obedience is just simply what? A lack of love for Christ. I didn't know that then. So just maybe you say that. I submit to your authority. I repent of my sin. I ask that you save me. I believe that you can. And then I know that you love me, and now just teach me to love you. And he'll draw you to him, and you start that process. And maybe being with us will be something that will help. But if you want to pray something like that, you pray that, and you let me know about that. Uh, Rick at rickandbubba.com, and I'll walk with you, okay? Let me close this in prayer. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for our time together. Thank you for us as we get near to the end of this great study, and we anxiously await if you allow for us to come together again and study the rest of it and and finish it next week. And then give me the discernment and give us the discernment of what you would have us to do next. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being with us.